Welcome to the She Wore Black podcast. I'm Agatha Andrews. Today, I've invited beloved YA author Erin Craig to discuss favorite tropes that are found in both gothic and fairy tales. We talk about how these genres merge and discuss several books that I will organize in a list in my online bookshop if you want to support the show as well as independent bookstores nationwide. That's at bookshop.org slash shop slash she wore black. You can also help out the show by following she wore black on Twitter and Instagram and leaving us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us today. Now onto the show. All right. Well, Aaron Craig, I have invited you on for something super fun today, and I've already got people chomping at the bit ready to, uh, to, to listen to us talk about gothic tropes and fairy tales. So welcome oh, to the thank show. Thank you so much for having Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, I'm very excited. One of your greatest things that you're known for is being able to take like the fairy tale and translate them into gothic novels. So um, before we kick off today, why don't you tell our listeners about House of Salt and Sorrows, which I am a big 12 Dancing Princesses fan, so I was really excited about this, and Small Favors. So uh, House of Salt and Sorrows is a 12 Dancing Princesses retelling um, set in a YA um, gothic universe. Um, It's on a maritime kind of Victorian-esque island uh, with the Duke and his 12 sister or 12, 12 daughters, um, who actually, as the book starts out, we're down to eight at this point. Um, their family has been cursed, um, as Gothic families often are. Um, and the sisters have been kind of perishing uh, through, you know, age progression. Um, the oldest died first, and now we're down to the middle, Anna Lee. Um, her oldest sister is still alive, but we don't know for how much longer. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she's starting to realize, like, all of the sisters have died in, in different mysterious ways, and there could very well be a very, you know, prosaic explanation for everything but because it's a gothic novel and um, there's something you know obviously more afoot and so uh Annalie Thomas uh sets out to try and out why her sisters are dying in weird ways and um who's going to be next and how she can stop this um but also because of the 12 dancing princesses we're telling we've got lots of fairy tale balls and shoes and pretty gowns and all sorts of loveliness um and then small favors is a very loose uh rumpled silk skin retelling uh, set in the American West. Um, it's got like a very cottage core gone wrong folk horror kind of vibe. I was calling it Prairie Gothic <laughs> for a while. <laughs> um, but it's about Anna Lee, or no, that's the other story. Uh, Ellery Downing and her family, um, who are beekeepers in a fictional Colorado town. And, um, they live very cut off from civilization. They have a supply chain that, you know, twice a year goes out and to get like medicine and bullets and coffee beans and things, you know, that their town can't readily produce. Um, and the story starts out, the supply chain's horse has returned, uh, terribly mauled, um, and all the men are missing. And everything goes really wrong from there yeah. <laughs> in terrible ways. <laughs> well, without I, any spoilers. <laughs> I love that. Um, 
I love that you, you keep the gothicness of your inspirations, you know, that, and one of the things that I love that you did with house of salt and sorrows, uh, Mimi Matthews did the same thing in her retelling of Jane Eyre, where, which is John Eyre. Um, and hers has some vampiric elements too. Um, so it's like Jane Eyre meets, uh, Dracula. If you haven't read that one, I did an, uh, an episode with her early on in the podcast and we just had the best time talking about it. But one thing that you both do at the beginning of your novels um, is a very that very Poe thing of starting the story off gravesite. Like you start at the gravesite. And so that's how the story begins. And it's just sort of like, well, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think of it as I'm setting it up, you know, for a very cheerful, like happy tale of fun and good times. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it's like, how did we get here? You're sucked in automatically because when you're starting off at the, at a grave site, you're, you're like, well, how did we get here? And you know that it's only, you know, you're in for a gothic ride from there, you know, on out. It's a very classic Poe thing to do. And I love that. House actually started out as an Annabelle Lee retelling. Um, I, when I started to write it, I was like, oh, I love this poem. It's so great. Like, I'm going to write a story about it. And then I very quickly realized, like, there's a reason it's a very teeny tiny poem and <laughs> not a gigantic 400 page bayonet. Um, because, you know, the, the, the story is, it's good in poem form. Um, but I love the character of, like, Anna, Annabelle Lee, um, not Anna Lee, if I'm yeah. a play on, on her name. Um, but I loved her story and I kept thinking, I was like, what could I do to like do all of this? And then it was literally while I was, um, was nesting, I was pregnant with my daughter and like going through that whole like clip. Clean. <laughs> she's in the background <laughs> um like during the nesting cleaning the house and everything yeah. and I came across these pictures of me playing the soldier um in my mother's Girl Scout production of the 12 dancing princesses um it was my sister's oh, Girl wow. Scout troop and I was the older sister so I had to play the boy that no one wanted to play <laughs> um and I've got this horrible gold lame vest on I will never show these pictures to the world um but I saw the pictures and I was like oh what if we took like all of the dark, creepy Poe stuff that I really like about the story and like stuck a fairy tale together with it. And that's kind of how that whole thing started. And I told my mom and I was like, so I think I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to throw in some like gods, but they're like real, like the Greeks and like, and she's like, I don't, this sounds like a lot of, I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> this is a lot of things like you're trying to like stick in a blender. And I was like, no, I think it's going to be good. This is so here we are now. <laughs> Well, and what's interesting about that is I was doing a lot of research on Poe at one point just for funsies because that's how I roll. Oh, yeah. And um, I, you know, one of the things that people don't understand about him is that he he wasn't off his rocker. He actually was. I mean, he had a lot of like interest in science and would research and write a lot about science. And he also wrote about the craft of writing. A lot of our ideas of Poe actually came from the obituary, which was written by his enemy, like the person who hated him the most in the world wrote his obituary and wrote all of this nonsense that actually is where we get a lot of our ideas of who Poe was, but it's not at all who Poe was. And, um, and one of the things that he wrote um, 
you know, in one of his essays about the craft of writing um, was that the death of a beautiful woman is unquestionably the most poetical topic of all, right? And so hence mm-hmm. Annabelle Lee and then your 12 dancing princesses take, and it's just all so deliciously Gothic, you know, with all of, you know, that, that <laughs> Poe sentiment that has never left to my brain. I mean, of course the death of anyone is, is a sad and mournful tale, but he just talks about sort of, the romance of death, if you will, mm-hmm. is always, I mean, if you look at any pre-Raphaelite painting, right? I mean, it's always this sad, beautiful woman, like on the verge of death. And, you know, it's- Yes, the, the Lady yeah. of Shalott, you know, yes. leaning back in the water and so beautifully dead. <laughs> Isn't it gorgeous? You know? yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, so let's dive into some Gothic tropes. And I mean, I have a list. I know you have a list. Did you want to kickstart a list or do you want me to, to, ju- to jump in first? Well, I started like, because I was trying to like think of like all the different ways where fairy tales, you know, kind of converge with like that Gothic because um, even though like the, the, you know, the what we think of as like fairy tale period with like the Brothers Grimm's and Charles Perrault and everything, like that wasn't necessarily happening in like traditional Gothic period. Um, but like, there are a lot of ways that they, you know, have a lot of similar things. And one of the things that like, I love doing <laughs> in my <laughs> stuff when I take and kind of split stick them in the blender together, um, either fantastical elements that like absolutely should not ever be happening in real life are happening and everyone's like oh well of course of course or (laughs) firstly you've got the totally normal looking thing a bookshelf that is totally not what you think it is and it you know it spins around and suddenly you're in you know Frankenstein's laboratory and all these things and so like I love that juxtaposition in, in both um fairy tales and gothic literature or movies whatever gothic anything um where like it's either super weird but totally normal or like oh this is just a key that is in no way a portal to anything um oh wait it is like I I love (laughs) that and like playing off of like um I love like the unexpected like I mean it's a trope like everyone expects it it's a trope for a reason (laughs) but I I love that convergence of like either totally mundane or totally like way out there and like supernatural and like it's just fine like all this is totally normal and we're just right carry on with our story like this is normal (laughs) I know that gothic uses ghosts a lot but really it's just the supernatural in general and so Mm -hmm. um yeah we of course everything in fairy tale has elements of the supernatural right um but I love that you know there are stories uh of you know whether it's a gothic writer that's like from the traditional gothic period in the in the 19th century or now where they've taken that and and run with it so like with Mm -hmm. neil gaiman he took snow white and did snow glass and apples and i don't know if you've read that story um the audio (laughs) the audio book for it's kind of amazing because it's it's read by bb newworth who oh writing this down (laughs) And it's a short story, um, but she's amazing. And so Snow Glass and Apples is interesting because, and I have, I mean, cause I'm such a nerd, right? I've, I've been following and reading Neil Gaiman since the early nineties. Cause I'm just that old, um, but he, <laughs> you and he, me both, <laughs> he had this like special edition of this story or, and actually it was the way it was first released as like this tiny little illustrated 
novella or short story. And, and it was really like comic shops carried it because it was very in line with that idea. Um, so I actually have that, but it's, it's in like his more, um, his short story collections that are still in print and everything. So you can still get it. You can still get the audio book, but what he does is he takes a vampiric look at Snow White as a concept. Her skin is white as snow, right? And she's in this long sleep and she's awakened, you know, this certain way. And and um and it actually gets much darker even than just vampirism. So, you know, <laughs> in case anyone's wondering, um if, if you can imagine something that's darker than vampirism, it goes there. So <laughs> um but so deliciously. <laughs> But there's just so many wonderful examples of how um, people look at the supernatural and fairy tale and, and translate it into a Gothic story. Do you have any other <laughs> idea? I mean, I've got a whole list, but I don't want to like. <laughs> so one of the ones I love is um, Jane Nickerson's Strands of Bronze and Gold. Um, it's a bluebeard retelling. It's very Ooh. Southern Gothic. And um, you've got like, you know, the manor and the old South with the big trees and all of the stuff and everything. Um, the girl who comes and she's a ward of this very mysterious bluebeard-esque man. Um, and there's like the garden boy, because we always need a good garden boy and things. <laughs> and um, But like, it's so creepy. And like the ghosts of the wives and like, is it a ghost? Is she mad? Which is another big thing. Like, is it really happening is it madness is it yes. like ghosts are coming after um it hits all the things so deliciously and everyone needs to know more about jane Nickerson. i feel like she is criminally underrated i am on um, this because this is so my jam yeah, she's got, <laughs> and it's like all like it's just it's everything you want in a southern gothic tale but like also you know fairy tales <laughs> i love it no that sounds amazing and southern gothic is starting to make a comeback if you will I think people Thanks are starting to look at it. <laughs> people are starting to look at it differently. You know, VC Andrews and some other people had a very white centric view of Southern Gothic. Um, but now people are starting to write different stories with it and, and flip it around a little bit. And I think that's fascinating. Um, one of the things that I thought was interesting, Erin, and I'm sure you've probably read these books, but I like when we have almost a flip of this. So like, we'll have, um, like Frankenstein where, where, where a fairy tale is written like a Gothic novel. Um, you have mm -hmm. Frankenstein, but then you have Pinocchio that was written like a few decades later. And I think that's kind of mm -hmm. interesting where you have like a, almost a, like a, a human creator, you know, of something that, sh that is still supernatural, because obviously both these stories are supernatural. This would never happen, but, um, oh I, do, like, I know, God. we don't need little puppets running around. Uh, <laughs> now I'm fine. There's nothing creepier to me than little like creepy dolls and puppet things. Like that is absolutely, like, nope, nope. I right. will do any other work, not that. Ventriloquist <laughs> dolls are the worst. Yeah, yeah yes. that, that would have been the, dead silence movie oh gosh that was ah. <laughs> oh my gosh um but i don't know if you've read elizabeth blackwell's while beauty slept but that is a, a different take on sleeping beauty where it's black plague that sends everybody to sleep if you will um so it's Ooh, this, it's amazing and beautiful and i read it like in one day it was amazing um 
so while beauty slept is just this kind of weird or not weird, like really cool reversal on, on the idea of let's make a modern story of it. But she, so she's using science a little bit there, um, in the context of a Gothic story. I really liked that. Oh, have you read um, The Echo Life by Sarah Gailey? Oh, it's so good. It's another Bluebeard um, retelling, but it's it's the same thing. It's it's with clones and it's oh. he's killing the same wife, but is he the one actually doing it? And it's <gasps> like the, the plot twists in it were so good and delicious. And I was, I love that book. And it's super short. Like, I think I read it in a couple hours, which I usually don't like sit down and like devour books like that. Yeah. Um, but like I tore through that one. Um, but it's called The Echo Wife and it's just delightful. <laughs> Listeners, I am going to do my very best to make notes, um, like put in the show notes, all these books that we're saying, because these are such wonderful stories. <laughs> I don't want to miss anything. <laughs> I don't know if you've read Sisters of the Winter Wood by Rena Ross. <laughs> she did the Jewish folklore and fairy tales and put it in the context of the Jewish pogroms in Russia. And I thought that was a fascinating way to take uh you know gothic tropes and 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 fairy tales that are found in, in fairy tales and use it in a historical context and i just thought that was mm-hmm. really oh it was a beautiful story too like yeah i i love her prose it's so pretty it just sparkles <laughs> And those book covers, I have to tell you, I'm a sucker for a good book cover. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the whole package in a pretty book and a great story. <laughs> so, um, so, and of course, there's many more. And we can always, like, if you if you remember something that comes back on a trope, if we move forward, just hop right in. Because I think we'll all be doing that. But I am very interested in this in talking about women in distress, because I think what I get frustrated with, and I talked about this in my episode with um, Alex Woodrow, is when people dismiss Gothic, which they will do um, in an unintentionally misogynistic way. They think they're complimenting whatever book they're talking about and oh there's no women running from houses here or that and I'm like you guys don't understand that the appeal there is actually based in a lot of founded psychological um, things that we're interested in or, or have a historical foundation to be concerned about or whatever it's a part of our psyche and we're interested in it because of where we've been historically our station the things we have to worry about I mean even now we don't have you know full agency over our body according to the supreme court so you know us you know, our attraction to these gothic tropes is founded in, in very real issues, you know? And, oh my goodness, yeah. yeah. It's like that, that that Twitter thing that like pops up every couple of weeks on Twitter where it's like reasons for, you know, being committed to asylum, reading novels too much or whatever, and tag yourself. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I, I do all these things. <laughs> yeah. Send me to an asylum. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, it's no, it's, and I love seeing like, there's been so many in like the last like five or six years, um, women writing Gothic horror that have come out and like taken that, like these very, you know, ingrained Gothic tropes and just flipping them on their head. Yes. Um, Caitlin Starling's the death of Jane Lawrence. Like I knew it was going to be, I saw the cover initially and I was like, Ooh, I want this. It's got the creepy hands and yes. like the little 
things of I the bread throwing them together. Yeah. <gasps> so good. And I like begged Kayla. I was like, please, 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 please send me an arc. I'm dying to get this book. I like, I just, I know it's like catnip for me. And so she sent it and like, I think I was like three pages in and I just messaged her. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, like what? Like, it was just, it was so brilliantly, cause it was like, okay, it's gonna be a Gothic thing. Like I'm gonna have yeah. a house and like all these things. And then like the way that she gave Jane agency over everything and it like everything in her life is playing out exactly as a, you know, classic <laughs> Gothic heroine would be. We've got, you know, an older spinster woman of like 20 something, uh, the horror and like has to find a man <laughs> to marry. And then, but like, she goes out and like, no, I'm going to find a husband. I need one obviously because right. society and, um, but I'm going to do it my own way and I'm going to find the one and I'm going to propose to him. And I was just like, oh my gosh, the girl proposed to the man and she got herself in this situation. This is delightful. And yeah. <laughs> it's just, and obviously everything goes badly. The title kind of gives things away. Um, but I love just every, like, just unraveling of all of the gothic tropes but keeping it within the gothic everything and it was so brilliantly executed and it just it just made me so happy <laughs> yeah yeah well and i think you're right i think that's definitely and it's you know the other thing about what i was saying earlier about the misogyny of it all is yes we have bram stoker and yes we have edgar Allan poe but for the most part women are the ones writing gothic and so you think we mm -hmm. know our own stories and the stories that are written are reflective of the time that we're in and so you mm -hmm. have like de Maurier writing rebecca but then you have isabel cañas writing the hacienda which is in conversation with rebecca but it's mm -hmm. you know as you're saying where like she's in control of her situation you know and and is and is doing the work to try to undo it even if she has help she sought the help mm -hmm. out you know um yeah. the same thing with mexican gothic you know she you know <gasps> Yes. <laughs> she's going to go in. Well, and she gets to play like the, I mean, she is the damsel in distress, but she's also the prince, you know, riding in on the white horse, saving the cousin and everything. And then like, oh, wait, I <laughs> do become the damsel in distress. But oh, no, I'm going to get out of it. Like, I, it's so good and like yeah. wonderful. And I love seeing it set, you know, in the 1950s in Mexico, like getting yes. different location, like the Gothic period happened to us all. Like, if, yes. like you know. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and and the same thing with the Hacienda. That's 1800s Mexico. Mm -hmm. And you know, the same, you know, the same kind of thing where she's also, you know, taking charge of of what's happening to her. Paulette Kennedy did a great job with her heroines doing the same thing and Hester Fox and all of these gothic <laughs> writers. <laughs> no. And have you seen Hester's, like, she's been teasing what's coming next. And I'm just like, lady, I want it. I want it so badly. Like, just give it to me now. <laughs> I feel like every story that Hester so writes is just for me. Like she writes it with me in mind. <laughs> Seriously. And like, every time I'm like, okay, she's going to eventually like get sick of like the spooky Gothic stuff, but she keeps coming up with new ones. And I'm just so delighted. It's like, please don't ever go rom-com. Like I, I love a good rom-com, but like, please just keep doing this forever. <laughs> Oh, I know she and just when I think like, because I told her that too, when I interviewed her, I was like, just when I think that you're not going to have anything else that gets into my id, she comes up with something else that's in my id. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but yeah, I like how, um, you know, they're, they're writing it to reflect their their time, you know, as far as like, even if it's historical, it's still reflective of our current views and 
the way we live our lives and what we want to see oh, in our characters and everything. Yeah. Oh, I fi- I just finished listening. Uh, I, I read the book uh, uh, when it first came out and then I've been, um, I'm quilting. I, I'm a huge quilter um, and I'm working on a big like hand stitch project. And I was like, okay, I need like a new audio book, but like sometimes I just, I want to hear it, you know, something I've already heard and do, yeah, yeah. I love doing things themes and stuff and so I was like okay what can I listen to while I'm quilting I was like the dark descent of Elizabeth Frankenstein because she's you know stitching things up and and all sorts of stuff I'm like this is the perfect book to listen to while quilting a you know a very nice hand you know heirloom keepsake thing okay do some stitching and flesh and it's gonna be great (laughs) um but I loved the book I mean it's it's a retelling of um of Frankenstein but it's told from Elizabeth's perspective and like I just I love everything Kirsten White's like she's just she's wonderful um but they um the way that she takes Elizabeth's story and like she's a character very minorly you know in in the uh-huh. book and all the movies and everything like we never hear her side of the story and like there's a moment where she's in an asylum because we're in gothic land um but she she starts talking there's she's talking to a woman about like why this woman you know is, has been committed to the asylum because she's not insane you know everyone else is insane um but she's talking about like well my husband put me here and she realizes that um she's Elizabeth has spent her entire life trying to belong and trying to make herself ingratiated with the Frankenstein family and she it's when she realizes she's like I don't even know like how to smile by myself like what smile what does my smile look like because I smile for Victor I have a smile for Judge Frankenstein I have one for Mrs. Frankenstein like I don't even know who I am and like her coming into her power and like it's a YA retelling and just like that teenage moment in life where like you kind of break away from like this is how I was raised. This is how my family, like, but who am I when I'm not in that situation when I'm just by myself? And, um, I was like, I, I had read the book a while ago and I'd kind of forgotten about it and I was listening to it and I just kind of sat up and I was like, yes, this is so good. <laughs> and it, it was just like such a great moment of like, I just want to like buy this for every teenage girl in the world and give them to her because like, it's just so wonderful. Aww. So you were just talking about Frankenstein. I don't know if you've seen the Chris <laughs> Walder. Chris Walder has this coming out in the fall. I'm so excited. And that Kickstarter that she's got yes. going with like the illustration. Like, oh, I'm so excited for that book. This is Unnatural Creatures. Fantastic. Yeah. For those of y'all who don't know what that is, Unnatural Creatures um, is a book that is coming out this fall by Chris Walder, uh, which is about the women characters of Frankenstein. And I could not be more excited. So. <laughs> um so let's talk about it's kind of a twofold because in in fairy tale it's the wicked stepmother but in gothic Mm. novels it tends to be like this creepy female authoritative figure so they sort of serve Mm. the same purpose so we know about the wicked stepmother and cinderella and snow white um but you know that manifests in gothic you have the famous mrs danvers from rebecca and you have this (laughs) havisham (laughs) yes this Mm -hmm. havisham and great expectations and you know mexican gothic the hacienda other novels novels that we've already talked about also have these creepy female figures so I wanted to know if you wanted to talk about that a little bit oh I love a good creepy female figure um <laughs> Angela Carter the bloody chamber um I'm trying to think of the housekeeper's name and now I'm 
drawing in a blank, but again, it's a bluebeard gothic retelling. Um, but yeah, there's like it, they, and they usually are the housekeepers because it's always like, yes, because men are, you know, completely incapable of running a house themselves um, before they find their wife and bring them back to their creepy, creepy manner. Um, but yeah, it's usually like a housekeeper and in um in house of salt and sorrows we've kind of got the morella she's the the stepmother and she's wicked that she's not but then she really really is <laughs> um but yeah there's always like there there needs to be like some sort of like because and i i think like historically like if you go back to that very misogynistic look on the the gothic tale you yeah. know you've got the very virginal woman running it with her white nightgown running through the trees and the woods and the things um so you have to have like a meaner counterpart and so that like because we can't ever just have a shade of gray um usually it's the housekeeper in black <laughs> <laughs> very demure black too like not even yeah. sassy black it's <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, yes. You can't tempt the, the man that's helpless and all of that. <laughs> no, no. Um, but that is one of the things that's sort of a perennial favorite too. I mean, that you see in fairy tale and it drives. I have a whole book about like the wicked stepmother. Like it's it's such a, a powerful tool in fairy tale that it 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 there was almost no choice but for it to translate into gothic, you know because their, their tropes are always so similar. So I just think it's kind of interesting. Like I can say Miss Havisham without saying anything about the title and people know who I'm talking about, you know? <laughs> and the same thing for Mrs. Danvers. Like there was this woman I used to work with that I used to call Mrs. Danvers because, you know, to myself, <laughs> I, <would've, laughs> I was just like, there she is, Mrs. Danvers. And it's like one of those things where people know, even if you're not talking about the book at all, they know who you're talking about. Um, so it's just such a powerful, iconic symbol you know mm -hmm. and it's, it's interesting because it's always usually it's an older woman mm -hmm. um and i'm trying to think like if they're like uh contemporary translations well, crimson peak we've got the older sister yes. um she's not a housekeeper but she's she's been keeping the manor while you know her her heir of a brother and you know finds a wife or several maybe yeah <laughs> um but you know she's she's keeping the house up but it, not very well because there's holes in the ceiling and things but um but yeah it's always it's an older woman usually who's like has to be responsible for things and then like because they're responsible in all these different ways, they can, you know, be very evil <laughs> in yeah. their, their uh, manipulation of, you know, the very younger, naive, you know, unworldly bride or sister or whoever, you know, the, the lady, woman, girl in white uh, in the nightgown, you know, coming into the house uh, unaware. In Mexican Gothic, it's the mother of the family. Um, so she's mm -hmm. still like a matriarchal powerful figure but she is still very quiet still very like the patriarchy in that family is strong but she's like the most powerful female in the house so it's not even the wife mm -hmm. you know it's this figure who's always been there and that's kind of the idea the one who's like been mm -hmm. there and held like that the position the longest. <laughs> yes yes mm -hmm. and in the hacienda it's the same thing you know and it's it's difficult like we all know what it's like to go into a situation it's like Heathers. They're basically the red Heather, but they wear black. <laughs> yes. So, to drop a reference. Um, you know, so it, it is just this iconic thing. Yeah. 
sleep and dreams is also a powerful thing. And I mean, that's where Neil Gaiman comes in with his whole graphic novel series that launched him into fame with the Sandman and talk about mm-hmm. someone who relishes fairy tale. You see all kinds of fairy tale characters and myth. I know you had some myth you wanted to talk about as well. Um, but a sleeping beauty, snow white, like those are powerful. Sleep is are powerful elements of storytelling in those fairy tales. Um, mm-hmm. and I have, and there's always like, there's the dream that like, like, I feel like that, that it's kind of a trope, like a lot of, um, when you're, you know, in the house and the new situation and whatever. And like, there's always like the chapter that starts out where it's like, I, I'm a, I'm a terrible one for this one. Um, but you start out a chapter and it's like, oh, this is totally real world. And then it's like, oh wait, something's afoot. Yes. What is going on? <laughs> this is not right. And then you realize you're reading a dream, but then, and then there's always like some big lesson gets, you know, yes. tweaked and locked in your subconscious while you're dreaming. I love that. That's, that's one of my favorite trips to read. <laughs> A Christmas Carol is one of our most quintessential oh, gothics. Yes. And all of mm-hmm. that is him like, okay, I'm going to go to sleep now. What ghost is it going to be when I wake up? You know? Yes. <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> that is a quintessential use of, you know, that fairy tale trope into a gothic story. Um, mm-hmm. And again, Mexican Gothic, uh, you know, I keep going back to that, but she just used like everything, right? She like, <laughs> I, it was such an homage. Like, it's just like a masterclass in like Gothic literature. <laughs> One of the ones that I want to talk about um, is actually, it's something that I'm going to have a whole episode on, um, which is The Ghost Bride by Young C. Chu. And I, and the <gasps> thing is, <laughs> yes, but she uses sleep like in a way that is very similar to Sleeping Beauty and and Snow White and that it's like on the verge of death because she's not quite mm-hmm. dead, she's not quite alive. Um, so it's sort of like this long, deep sleep. Um, and so it's just really interesting because while she's in that mode, she's able to cross into the land of the dead and you know, try to solve the murder mystery <laughs> that's in the story Ooh, as well. That's, yes. That sounds fantastic. Um, have you heard, have you read um, The Possessions by Sarah Flannery Murphy? Oh, it's so good. It's, um, it's not quite, it's contemporary or slightly near future, um, but it does have a very gothic creepiness to it um and it does have kind of planned like the sleeping beauty fairy tale a little um it's uh we're in the slightly near future where you can um there are people who can eat this flower (laughs) um and they fall into a trance and they let the ghosts of the recently departed possess them Mm -hmm. um and so like it's very like the whole medium you know spiritualism thing but taking kind of contemporary you know next sci-fi level um but there's a girl who works as this and they're kind of like likened to sex workers um because you know you're kind of letting people come in and there's different levels of comfort that you're you know doing things with um but there's a guy who his wife died um and she's got to bless you sorry (laughs) um there's (laughs) um this guy his wife died and he goes to you know trying to like get last words you know final conversation and everything with her and she starts to fall for him and but is it her herself the worker who's doing this or is she still possessed sometimes the ghost can be stronger um and not really relinquish control of the body and so she doesn't know if any of this relationship that she's setting out um with the the husband the ex-husband I guess now because she's dead but um 
the the husband she remarks on a relationship with him but she doesn't know if it's the ghost who's controlling her body or if it's her how much of his you know attraction to this woman is because she can is the wife at sometimes and it's it's like a very I, I just I love it but she goes to sleep in these trances and you know wakes up and doesn't remember any of it and everything and it's it's so good it's one of those books like I read at least a decade ago I want to say um but I think about it like monthly like it's just it lingers really well <laughs> one of the things that I find fascinating about what you're saying and about the trope itself is that it's used twofold. Like you're saying there, you get kind of, and, and also like what I was saying with the ghost bride, you get this connection to another world. So it's almost like it gives you additional <laughs> insight into something, but at the mm-hmm. same time, it's also when you're at your most vulnerable. And I think that mm-hmm. that is a really big deal when it comes to both fairy tale and Gothic, you know, it's a really powerful, you have, I mean, you, at you, you are at your most vulnerable. You know, and, and like, I don't know if you've read the haunting of Maddie Claire by Simone St. James. Um, I mean, I, all Simone St. James makes me just like want to fall on the floor because they're just so good. But, um, (laughs) but she likes some, you know, some of the ghosts in her stories and particularly that one, you know, when they appear like at the bedside, (laughs) oh my God, I'm about to lose my mind when I read these things. so terrifying I mean the only other thing more terrifying than that is when it happens like if you're in the bath you know because then you're like also (laughs) really vulnerable you know super vulnerable (laughs) yes yes but sleep is more gothic because it's also you're not conscious you know like you're Mm -hmm. you're not oh and you're totally at you're you're at the mercy of both the dream itself because usually there is some sort of you know greater you know, the, the dream is not necessarily just a dream. Like there's a ghost right. trying to get you or whatever, but like also in like, um, going back to Mexican Gothic, you've got creepy, you know, patriarchal dudes drugging you and all sorts of things to do all sorts of things while you're, yeah. you're out, you know, unconscious. Um, so yeah, it's a twofold vulnerability state and you're completely, and, and it does. And I, I feel like in a lot of both fairy tales and, um, Gothic, like, the sleep usually isn't just like, oh, I, you know, fell asleep and everything yeah. is fine. It's usually like, oh, someone poisoned my tea with a weird flower. <laughs> and oh, my next book, my next book has a lot of poison tea in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm in love with that. Con- like, I mean, I know. I know that people use that trope and it's, it is a delightful trope and that's why we have them because right. We, there are things we like to go back to over and over again, but they use that in Crimson Peak too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And April Yates used that in a short story that I really like. She's going to have a novel coming out and I'll have her on later. But um, when she used it in her short story, I was like, oh, this has Crimson Peak vibes and I love it. You know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um what's the one uh well and it goes back to two like um mary well i mean not sleep it's it's death but like um shirley jackson's you know we have always lived in the castle yeah. like you're at the mercy of whoever's cooking your food for you and if it's mary cat like oh sorry <laughs> well and that's um, the poison and then, apple in fairy tale right that's the poison apple in fairy yes. tale. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then there's the, uh, the book and the movie. I like the movie better. I'm going to say it. Um, that rarely ever happens, but the beguiled, um, it happens. with Nicole <laughs> and I, I'm a sucker for white dresses, like put, yeah. put a bunch of girls in white dresses. I'm very yes. happy. Um, but they, you know, they go out and get, I think it's mushrooms in the book and apples and, and it literally is a poison apple. Um, they bake up hi for this interloper into their house and you know things don't go well for him <laughs> for them it's yeah, yeah. you know but um but yeah poison apple or poison tea poisoned whatever um mm-hmm. little gifts and and go, going back to like things that are ordinary but are definitely not <laughs> <laughs> um my little boy when he was you know we used to love to read fairy tales together when he was like three and four five years old and and like if he saw a bruised apple in the fridge he was like it's poisoned <laughs> oh no <laughs> and so yeah I was like it's okay it's just bruised you know <laughs> so he's like I'll eat around the poison you know I'm like all right oh yeah that's totally how that works <laughs> that's completely fine so, <laughs> oh my gosh I love I love the world through that their eyes you know yes <laughs> oh my goodness um but yes yeah, so the sleep and dreams I'm very curious as to what the translation for the Sandman will look like I don't know if you've read the books for the Sandman um for those who haven't read them I'm gonna be honest as much as I'm such a Neil Gaiman groupie the first two were a little if you don't know what's happening later in the series the first two are a little like what is this what's going on (laughs) and then it becomes amazing um because I went back and reread them for the first time since the early 90s and and that again I was looking at those first two going yeah I think they're still kind of "Mm." (laughs) um I jumped right in you know to number three after that so um but I do love that it's like the pilot episode like he's working out the kinks (laughs) well he's laying the groundwork just like exactly what you're saying like a pilot does um you just kind of have to give like a little bit of it but you're confused if you don't know if you don't know where the story is going to go, so, but it's, you know, we're talking about myth also, like before we started talking and I mean, it's Morpheus from Greek mythology. And so, you know, also known as the Sandman. So, but sleep is just one of those wonderful things going back to um, Poe. I mean, the Raven is, is something that are, is he asleep or is it, is he drunk or is he what is it what's going on with his yeah is he mad Um, (laughs) so that's another good example of of something um I don't I don't know which other which other ones you wanted to talk about before I forget because it's off I have these crazy notes guys and my notes are all (laughs) over the place I don't want to forget Kelly Barnhill has got the crane husband coming out instead of the crane. It's like a take on the crane wife. Um, what? I know. And I love Kelly Barnhill. Um, oh, her, yeah, the dread, dreadful stories, dreadful stories for young ladies. I, I never yes. get the title right, but I was so good. <laughs> Yeah. Dreadful stories for young ladies. And it's, that's how I discovered her. She had these award-winning kids books. And I, and then it was like through, I accidentally, I was walking around book people in Austin and they always have even like kind of more obscure things. And I, and I came across that cover and it was just the title and the cover were beautiful. And I picked it up and Neil Gaiman gave it a blurb, I think. And, and I was in, you know, <laughs> I was all in. Yes. And then I opened it up and it had all these wonderful stories in there, but she's going to have that book coming out, but she has this award-winning story. And the, one of the reasons why I wanted to bring it up, um, 
is it's called Mrs. Sorensen and the Sasquatch. And what I love is that it sort of flips. I used it in my monster romance episode. Um, for obvious reasons, if you've read the story, but I love how it flips <laughs> the whole like big bad wolf, little red riding hood idea, you know, and, and, and even beauty and the beast, um, because mm-hmm. it, it turns it into this very, um, not mundane, but like, of course she's like in love with the Sasquatch and, and she just makes it very normal. Like they go to church and they go out to eat or whatever, you know? <laughs> and they just kind of walk totally around in life. You know? <laughs> but the way it's done is very interesting because it also has strong Shirley Jackson vibes with the way the village views her and she's a widow. Widows are always great, right? Widows are great in fairy tale oh, and yeah. in Gothic. Um, mm-hmm. and Never so- can trust that. I do want to talk about widows, um, <laughs> but I just love that story and, um, and you can read it for free on tour.com. Um, but it's also a little audio short story. Um, but, but I just love that. She just kind of made it normal, just like everyday life <laughs> took that whole idea, but yeah, let's talk about widows. Let's talk about widows. Um, you know, that's fun. They, well, and they, they exist in that, like, there I feel like they're kind of like a liminal state within the thing because you you know you usually traditionally have like the virginal main character who's gonna meet the guy and when whatever and doesn't know anything about the world but then you do have the widow who like does know things about the world she's been married but now she's like free of the oppressive husband and she can mm-hmm. kind of act with impunity without impunity and usually you know they're fabulously dressed and and wealthy because they can just spend their money because there's no husband to like curtail their whatever yeah <laughs> and um yeah they like if there's i mean there's there's a couple different ways they go usually you know it's either they help the heroine or they're kind of that that evil stepmother thing because usually the stepmothers in fairy tales have always been married before they come with you know their daughters and sons and yeah. all those things from from previous marriages um I feel like in fairy tales, usually they end up having to remarry, but in like Gothic fiction, usually they're just happy to be well-dressed and have all the skating dialogue. (laughs) You're right though. I love that they're either, like there's no middle ground. They are either the fairy godmother type figure where they're helpful and, you know, kind of can be very instrumental in, in helping the heroine save herself or they're Mrs. Danvers. (laughs) There's no middle ground. (laughs) um, But I think I love, I love a good widow in Gothic. And I love that uh, Hester Fox is like really run with that and, and done a great Mm -hmm. job. I love the widow of Pale Harbor. That's one of my favorite Hester Foxes, but, but yeah, that is definitely something that plays a big part as we know in, in Gothic and even Mrs. Havisham who never made married and that's kind of the point it's still mm-hmm. she's mourning the loss of a marriage still you know even though she mm-hmm. never actually made it to the altar you know she's still wandering oh, yeah. around in that wedding dress you know <laughs> <laughs> but that goes back to the whole idea of you know for so long even I mean we couldn't even get a credit card ourselves until very recent mm-hmm. decades um, like it within our lifetime or my lifetime anyway, it was, it was not something we could just do on our own. And so mm-hmm. there's still this weird patriarchal 
thing happening in the world. Like I think there's a, a Senator, like a U.S. Senator right now, that's trying to pitch this whole idea of birth control, not even being available to anyone other than a married couple, um, which uh-huh. is bonkers, just bonkers that we would consider going backwards in that way. So oh, yeah. You know, again, I don't think it's misogynist to include these things. I think it's misogynist to exclude them because it's very real to our lives. You know, these weird dependence on, on, or, or cultural dependence on marriage, you know, and, and even though we're trying to make strides, it's still something that has always been important. And so when people are like, this doesn't have this in it, you know, they're not understanding the significance, historically speaking, of marriage in, in the life of a woman and what that could mean. It could mean her, her, whether or not she ate, you know, <laughs> it was right. very, very oh, hard. Yeah. If- I'm reading, um, the cherry robbers right now. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm only like a couple chapters into it, but it does kind of have Gothic vibes to it. It's, um, and it, it's deliciously like, it, it's slightly based on, uh, Sarah Winchester and like the whole, mm-hmm. you know, the, guns that all yes. like, the people who died because of my husband's guns are now haunting me and like um but it's this family and the like east coast 1950s which i didn't realize it was a 1950s book until i got into it and i was like wait what are they doing there's automobiles i thought this was going to be like you know 18th century um but it's a fun twist uh but it's a family of six daughters and the mother's not well mentally um and believes that you know they're they're being cursed because of her her father or her husband's um gun family you know legacy dynasty um and then she's you know very um it's got a lot of shirley jackson vibes where like they're the family that you know stays in their house and they've got this very beautiful Victorian wedding cake house and everything on the side of town and no one ever really does anything with the girls they leave the they leave the house twice I think or for two weeks a year in the summer they go out to like the Hamptons or whatever to, to do 1950s summer on the beach stuff um but then the oldest daughter um while they're on the beach one summer you know she finds the man who's gonna come and you know woo her and take her away and then oh no she dies the day after she gets married and they're like, oh, this is sad. And then, you know, the next one comes along and, oh, she's going to find the man and she's going to, oh no, she dies the night after her wedding. And so it keeps going down and it's a family curse. Um, and I haven't gotten past really any end of that. So I'm not sure <laughs> if, this, wow. if it ends up relating back to our conversation, but at the moment it's very like, um, you know, women, like there's a, there's a line in um, small favors that I had with uh, Ellery Downing, you know, saying, she doesn't really know what her place in the world is right now because, you know, she's a child still. She lives under her yeah. father's roof, um, but she's not in school anymore. So she's not a student and she, her place is always defined in what location she is. When she's at home, she's a daughter. When she's in the classroom, she's a student. She's waiting for a man to come along to make her a wife and then a mother. Mm-hmm. But it's like, who is she when she's just on her own and everything? And so um, I think like that, that's such a big part of gothic fiction and in fairy tales as well like you're you've got the heroine who's always waiting for the prince to come and get her out of whatever situation she's in um and and like so many gothic uh fiction uh, books and everything I mean there's there, there's always that woman on the cover running away from the house because yeah she was in a stated position the man took her away into this new thing and she doesn't understand the world she's in yet because it's a new world and she hasn't inhabited that role yet and so 
usually the book is, you know, her kind of discovering, oh, I can run away. I might be in a white nightgown with my candelabra, but I am going to run away from this right. and like get myself out of the situation without the help of the man who's inevitably, you know, running after me. In the woods. You, you can even write historicals with that modern take. And I think mm -hmm. Hester Fox with the widow of uh, Pale Harbor and um, Isabel Cañas with the Hacienda, you know, did that very well where they were the significance of the marriage historically speaking mattered but also how mm -hmm. they these women like pull themselves out of that and and paulette kennedy too with um with her mm -hmm. novel like it it you know either widowhood or married women trying to pull themselves out of that situation so it's still like mm -hmm. the iconic trope is still there but it's it's a slightly more modern take on on how to deal with it Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And I, I love that about gothic fiction because like I myself, like I will never be a Katniss Everdeen. Like that's not me. <laughs> I'm not going to get the bow and arrow and start a revolution. But like I'm really good. I love that line. Um, what is the movie? Uh my big fat Greek wedding when the mom's telling like your father is the head of the house but I am the neck and the neck uh, controls where the head looks and like <laughs> I think that's such and like obviously big fat Greek wedding has nothing to do with gothic tropes it's but fun. it does because like it's the women that are controlling everything it's always the men who's you know the duke and the, the they've got the the inheritance and all of the things the house belongs to them but like in their way, women are, you know, controlling what happens in the house. That's why you have the household keeper, you know, yeah. the the yeah. housekeeper and all that and everything. Like they're the ones that are really orchestrating all of the stuff for the very important head of household man. Um, and then it's usually the wife trying, you know, the new bride or whatever coming into the situation and learning how to play the game <laughs> so that she can then exactly. get herself out of the situation. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, and like for all of her, you know, villain role, Mrs. Danvers probably does have more power in that house even than the husband, you know, so yeah. And he doesn't even know it. <laughs> like she's just <laughs> off doing all these things like, and he's like, oh, I totally, you know, he's off doing whatever it is he does. But like, I mean, she's the one running and orchestrating like everything. Yeah. And yeah. like that, um, with uh we've always lived in the castle like Maricat is off you know doing her crazy burying teeth in the yard or whatever but like constance is in her way running yeah. the household and she's keeping yeah. track of the uncle and all of his stories and all these things and like she's always seen as this very frail misunderstood too pure for the world you know creature but like she is both she and Maricat are the ones that are running the household and then when the Yep. the man swoops in to save them you know it doesn't go well for him <laughs> because yeah. he doesn't understand the world he's gotten himself into which is a fun kind of flip on that <laughs> yeah yeah no i mean i that's probably i want to say it's probably my favorite gothic novel and i don't i, I don't want to say that only because i i love so many but god i love that novel so much i mean it is <laughs> like my go-to you know and it's one you can read in a sitting because it's so short, it's like a hundred pages. You know, it's not even oh, very long. Have you seen the uh, the new movie? It came out. I say new. It's probably like three or four years old now. But like um, with Tessa, the We Have Always Lived in the Castle movie. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It is so oh, gorgeous. Good. Oh, it's beautiful. It has like, all the nineteen fifties things I love, like the wallpaper and the colors and the you know I love it so much. 
Constance's dresses were just like this cloud of dream. Like it was just so beautiful and like, and it made it like all, and that's what I do love about like so much of Gothic literature. Like you do get that super gorgeous, like all these houses, like, yes, they're fallen in disrepair, but if you look, the yeah. bones are good. And yes, that's probably a play on words because there's bones everywhere, but like, there's these gorgeous, beautiful things. And it just, that juxtaposition of like, this is what it could be like. And like, and with um, La, like La Hacienda and, uh, yes. and um, Mexican Gothic, like this could be this beautiful, gorgeous family yes. that I'm married into. And like, and wait, no, there's mushrooms in the walls. Like, <laughs> like it's such a great, like, that's, that's such a beautiful thing. And I think you get that with fairy tales too, a lot. You have, you know, these princesses who are, you know, in the gorgeous gowns, but there's wolves in the, the woods and there's yeah. all these things that they're constantly running. And it's like, it kind of, it's like what we could aspire to if it was not for all of, you know, the wolves in the woods and the creepy mushroom men. <laughs> the, the, ho the house itself is my very favorite very favorite trope mm -hmm. um as far i mean and that some people are like it's because you're a cancer you know <laughs> because we're very like <laughs> bodies and i'm like it probably is that's science right there working for you <laughs> i'm a cancer so i love haunted houses that i mean that is my favorite trope and in gothic i mean in fairy tale you know it's it's the old castle or the the house in the middle of the woods either way it's an isolated <laughs> home and and in in Gothic, that is my favorite thing to explore. I mean, whether it's for mm -hmm. children, like in Coraline, you know, you, you kind of, or Narnia even, I mean, that's not a Gothic story, but just the concept of exploring something in your home that leads mm -hmm. to either, um, you know, a paranormal understanding of the world or another place entirely, which is really bonkers mm -hmm. to me. <laughs> but like Pan's, Pan's Labyrinth, like, I mean, yes. like any like there's just yeah there's something about like that house and the thing I love um too and I think like it influences a lot of the stuff that I write um fairy tale you know version of of the gothic house is just like any situation like if you go back and reread like the Grimm's fairy tales the plots are stupid like most fairy tales are stupid like there's no sense logic does not exist like but we love them because you know there's deeper truths and things but the one thing that I, I find, like when I've, I've gone back and like Rumpelstiltskin and the 12 Dancing Princesses, all these things, um, they describe the locations really yeah. well. <laughs> like when you're in the 12 Dancing Princesses, you don't know any of the girls' names, who cares? Like, but we know that there's trees of silver and trees of gold. Like, why do they like feel the need to let us know that? We don't know who the characters are. They're all just girls, whatever. <laughs> But like, we know exactly what the trees look like. And so like the, the places of fairy tales become their own character within the yes. story. And there's so much importance. And it's the same way in Gothic, like you've got the house, like they always have the best names yeah. in houses. And in my next book, um, there's, there's a house and it's Chantelaly. And I was like, oh, I love this name. <laughs> like, I need a name for the house. And like getting to name a house is so much fun. Um, because it does, it gives them a character. And like, if the house has a character, the house has wants and desires. And like, you, we end up with Hill House and like, it doesn't sleep. Like, Mandalay. <laughs> sleeping or not. like yeah. so much like, and having like that, I, I love anthropomorphizing things. Like it drives my husband nuts because he's very, 
prosaic and, you know, just hyper-realistic all the time. And I'm like, my stapler has feelings. And like my coffee, if I don't get my, you know, my favorite coffee cup, I'm going to offend it in the morning because I chose <laughs> a different one. Like I love giving things, you know, personality. So it, it comes out of my work, I think a lot, but um <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, atmosphere is, and, and location is one of the most critical things in, in both fairy tale and Gothic. So that's absolutely true. And I love the way you, as, as a writer, I love you anthropomorph. what, well, you know, yeah, I'm stumbling over that word, but you know what I'm trying to say? I love yes. uh, giving everything life and, um, anthropomorphizing, you know what I mean? There you go. <laughs> I have to say it like but I'm no, in the spelling bee. <laughs> <laughs> but I think like giving giving a location intent, I think it's it's it makes a story infinitely more creepier because like not only do you have, you know, like in let's like go back to like, you know, um Rebecca, like yes, she's got this husband who is off doing, you know, nefarious things. We've got Mrs. Danvers plotting against her, but then we have Mandalay itself, like that house did not like her right <laughs> like, there's like it it like it had intent it had it was doing things and like i that's a hill I, house i mean that hill oh house yeah. you know like, had its yeah. own agenda <laughs> absolutely and like i think that's so like as a writer and a reader and like consumer of media i think that's way more terrifying than like Jack Nicholson running at you in the shining like the 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 Overlook Hotel is far more terrifying than Jack Nicholson with the you know Jack Torrance whatever his name is yeah. really in the book yes let's face having, it they're like, one in the same uh, giving, <laughs> yes they really are <laughs> but I think um like the the house that you don't understand because of the house or in a hotel or whatever like giving that agency I think is will always be way more into like terrifying to me than like a, you know Anthony Hopkins and, and Silence of the Lambs like we understand human psyche we might not understand why they do things but like it's a human you can kind of relate to it on, but like what does a house want <laughs> like that's a whole like well, what, but that's you know. where we take shelter. That's where we're supposed to be safe. And so when the house is against you, you know, <laughs> schools are There's not much you can do. <laughs> yeah. It's always far more bigger than you too. Like it, it can make its hallways bigger and like do all sorts of like things humans can't. Um, it's, oh, that's, that's just such a fun, terrifying yes. way to be scared. <laughs> it's delicious. It's delicious. It is. <laughs> Was there anything else that you had? I mean, I I could name books for days, but. <laughs> oh, I've got tons of books, girls and dresses, madness. I think we hit everything. Like I think we did. There's, I mean, we could talk for hours, but <laughs> I think we hit the, the big, the big the grabs. <laughs> oh, well, I think that's all I've got for today. I mean, of course there's always more, we could always talk, but I think we'll wrap it up. And if you have any questions, guys, you know how to find Aaron Craig, we will post uh, links to the Twitter. Is there another way that you want people to contact you if they have any questions or, or to find um, out what you've I'm got coming Instagram. next? 
Yes, I've got um, Instagram and Twitter and penchant for the number four words. Um, and then I'm, I'm on TikTok sporadically, but I'm penchant for spelled out F-O-R wow. words because someone, I think it was me that took my handle and then forgot the password, but I'm going to blame it on somebody else has my handle currently. And that's why I changed. <laughs> so what do you have coming up next before we leave today? Um, so I've got the paperback edition of Small Favors. My author copies are actually about to deliver like any minute. I'm so excited. I got a UPS notification and I'm like, what could this be? Oh, 21 pounds. I know what this is. Um, so I've got 21 pounds of books on their way right now um, of the paperback. Um, and if you haven't read Small Favors yet, um, get the paperback because it's got um, a recipe for the honey cake, um, Sarah Downing's honey cake um, that I have tried myself. It's delicious. It's a lot of work, but it's totally worth it. Um, and then also, um, if you're looking for like any kind of summer book club reads, um, there's a whole list of like book club discussions um, that I put together oh. myself. Um, so you guys should read it with friends and discuss. <laughs> um, and then I have a book coming out next year. We haven't announced anything yet, but um, there is more creepy, gothic, wonderfulness coming your way next year. <laughs> well, I hope you'll come back for that so we can talk about that book specifically. Um, but thank you for joining me today. It was such a fun discussion. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was, yeah, I, I can talk for hours on this. <laughs> There's other writers I saw that are eagerly awaiting this interview. Thank you so much. This was a blast. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today on She Wore Black. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter if you follow the links on our website at SheWoreBlackPodcast.com. We have some great episodes coming your way, so be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or Google Podcasts. You can also support the podcast by shopping at our online bookstore at bookshop.org slash shop slash SheWoreBlack. Every purchase you make through our storefront, be it the books on my lists or any books you find in a search from our front page, will support the cost that goes into show production as well as supporting independent bookstores nationwide. Thanks again for joining us today and happy reading. Mm -hmm.